This is the Hack the Future podcast, the human stories behind courage, purpose, and imagination. Join your host, Terrence Mowry, who will guide you on the journey of reimagining the world as we know it. Today, I kick off an exclusive interview with Hala Hanna, who is the Managing Director of Community at MIT Solve. Haller oversees Solve's work advancing tech solutions to global challenges through scaling open innovation and partnerships around the world. Solve's mission is one of the most inspiring I've come across recently. It's about scaling a generation of courageous thinkers and doers who tackle some of the world's most urgent challenges from climate change and social injustice to urbanization and poverty. Hello, I'm delighted to introduce Hala Hanna. She's the Managing Director of Community at Solve. That's an initiative of MIT. Uh, Hala, welcome. Thank you so much, Terence. I'm so happy to be here. Look, it's great to have you on the show. It feels like change used to happen as a breeze. Now it feels like a Category 5 typhoon. Mm. I'm really interested today to explore some big catalytic questions with you. Questions such as, you know, how do we hack the future with uh, humanity, inclusion and shared prosperity? Uh, how do we balance economics and empathy? And you know, how do we launch and scale a, a generation of solvers, courageous thinkers and doers? I love it. That's an ambitious agenda. <laughs> I know. So our goal today is to give our listeners the equivalent of a double espresso. Let's do it. <laughs> Let's do it. So, hello. it'd be great to understand a bit more about your mandate, your mission, and, you know, what are you working on right now? Absolutely. So Saul's mission is to solve world challenges. Uh, very, very ambitious as well. And we do it through open innovation and partnerships. And uh, my role at Solve, my mission as a managing director of the community is to build the marketplace for social impact innovation. So on one hand, we have our innovators, the Solver teams that we select, and our members of our community on the other. It's a big community committed to making a dent on the most pressing challenges of our time. Yes. And success at Solve is a, is a bit different than, um, than maybe other organizations. The way we measure our success is mm -hmm. in the value and number of partnerships that we're able to broker among our community members. So it's really about bringing that marketplace to life. Got it. Right. And so we, we've, uh, maybe I can give you an example. Yes, one of our souls members. Yeah. So, so one of our souls members, Merck for Mothers, uh, which works to end preventable maternal death, have set up with their partners a $50 million initiative to improve maternal outcomes, especially in Sub-Saharan Africa and South Asia. And in fact, their first $5 million investment is in LifeBank, one of our health solvers. LifeBank uh, combines data and smart analytics and technology to, to deliver life-saving medical products where it's really hard to reach them in, in normal times. Um, and, and in fact, LifeBank's founder and CEO, Tammy uh, Giwa Tubosung, and a Merck for Mothers Executive Director, uh, Marianne Etibet, first met at, uh, at our 2018 Solve Challenge Finals, and we facilitated a visit on the, uh, of the group with, between them, kind of surfacing you know, what are the common uh, out, you know, outcomes that they would like to see and how, how we can help make that happen. Of course, the, Tammy and Marianne did the rest of the uh, you know, of the magic, but um, this is what we do. We're kind of a Tinder for uh, social impact partnership. <laughs> <laughs> that's, a, that's a that's a that's a great uh, a really uh, great description. And I mean, just for our listeners, what's your backstory in terms of you know, what were the catalysts to really get you to where you are today? Right. So I am born. I was born during the civil war in in Lebanon, mm. and uh, after a few years of um, 
displacement and homeschooling. I, I, I got really lucky to grow up watching a country in reconstruction. Yes. And it's truly fascinating in the best and sometimes in the worst of ways because it, it definitely left me hooked to this question of economic progress. You know, what is it? Uh, when does it work? When is it inclusive? And what is the role of innovation and technology in bringing it about? Um, and, and, you know, my career has been a pursuit of that question in some sense, whether studying economics and development policy, whether, you know, at the UN helping with restructuring the Ministry of Finance, um, a World Bank advising on public reform, World Economic Forum brokering conversations at Davos, and today at Solve, I see it as very much this continuum with that common red thread. In terms of values, I know that values are very important to you at a personal level and also to Solve. Could you share with our listeners some of the big values that you live by? Uh, that's such a good question. So Solve's values are imprinted in our offices on the wall. Unfortunately, we're not there now, but they're very much imprinted in our minds, I think. Um, so it's optimism, partnership, open innovation, human-centered solution, and inclusive technology. So these five Fantastic. values. And in, it's interesting but because I think the act of putting them physically in a physical space is also a reminder for us to mirror those values in our uh, not just externally, but also in in the in our interior work and in, in how we run um, solve as a team. And uh, I, I see it very much also uh, reflected in this moment. You know, values tr- truly anchor you during a crisis because there's a lot more strain on everything. Uh, you know, how people are feeling, how much time you have, um, and of course, being remote, just how you communicate. And, you know, and, and I think we, we have used those five values as um, a compass for what do we, we decide to say yes to, um, how do we treat each other, what truly matters in this moment, and how do we show up for this moment? And so I think, you know, a lot of our work we, you know, for example, we have launched a fifth challenge on um, health and security, uh, uh, health security and pandemics in in March in response to the, um, you know, to the moment that we're in. Uh, we're looking uh, on how we incorporate racial justice in every single aspect of what we do, um, and so there's been. I think, as you said, it's like a level five hurricane and you just have to take it all in and, and continue moving forward somehow, not spinning on your, you know, on, in your space. I loved what you said about values. And, you know, I truly believe that, you know, we're, we're all here to thrive and people want value and values. And for me, you know, this this pandemic really turned our world upside down in so many ways. Um, just some statistics here, over 40 million jobs lost in America. The UN, a UN study says that up to 1.6 billion people have uh, high levels of job insecurity right now. And then we have the rise of obviously automation and AI and all of these disruptive technologies. So I wanted to ask you an important question, which is, you know, why is this sort of idea of generation solve so timely, so prescient? So I really think there is how to say like, there's there's no way we're going to manage the challenges that are in front of us if we don't involve everyone and we bring everyone to the problem solving table so that you know idea of inclusion is is just an imperative right now you know it's, it's simply put we must appeal to different types of people 
if we want to, you know, solve real things that are happening at the community level. And that idea of proximate entrepreneur, I think, has become very powerful in that the best person to solve the, the, the challenge of a community is someone from that community itself. Um, and so we think very much about how do we appeal both to the hero and the helper in an entrepreneur? How do we lower the barriers to entry in, in, the, in the language that we use, you know, in the vernacular so that it's more inclusive, um, in, the, in the mentorship and the coaching that we put in place? Um, in fact, we, we ran an experiment with uh, Columbia Business School and Carnegie Mellon, which uh, gives us kind of, you know, concrete data on that not all entrepreneurs are motivated by the same thing. Some are motivated by fame and, and fortune, and some are more by being helpers. So we, yes. we did this uh, experiment where we emailed you know, 11,000 entrepreneurs uh, across 76 countries, and we saw how they reacted to what we were sending them uh, in terms of communication. And the findings convey strongly that women tend to be more driven by uh, social impact, or those who identify as women, and those who identify as men, more driven by funding. Um, and culture, cultures also plays a role. And why this matters is that if I want to be truly inclusive, I need to reach to different, you know, what, what appeals to different genders and cultures and backgrounds. We must be intentional in how we inspire and support entrepreneurs and bring them to the table and speak to both instincts, the, the hero and the helper. I mean, it really it resonates with me so much. I came across one story which I found inspirational. It was somebody called Emma Yang who's developed an, yes. developed an app called Timeless. Yes. Can, can you share a bit more about that, that particular story? Yes, absolutely. Emma is uh, was at the time we selected her 14 years old um it really gives you a sense of you can be an entrepreneur you can be an innovator and a solution maker and regardless of your age actually one of our solvers is actually 84 years old wow. so really spans, spans the gamut and emma i have to tell you so emma uh, uh, ha has developed an app that helps uh, uh, patients who have alzheimer's manage their disease um, in a way that is, you know, very adaptable to the symptoms that they're going through. And the re what inspired her to uh, create that app is her grandma. And she was very close. She is very close to her grandmother. And she saw her grandmother losing her memory. And she wanted a way to uh, both for her parents and her grandma to be able to, to continue to communicate in, in, with the same richness to some extent. So mm -hmm. she created that app for her grandmother and then that became an app that is timeless that is now available to many, many, many people around the world. And it just brings to life really how the personal story mm -hmm. um, and the origin story matters because it informs what you design and how you design it and for whom yes and uh, and it also is a really nice illustration of, of how anyone can be a problem solver you know what is what is broken in your community what is really irritating you that you want to fix that actually matters for others like that's that's what we want to go after it, it reminds me of a sort of mantra, which is, uh, uh, you know, don't fall in love with ideas, fall in love with problems, fall in love with friction, uh, fall in love with obstacles. I love that. I love that. And we see it in our over, over and over with our entrepreneurs. You know, mm. Temi that I was talking about earlier, she, you know, on the personal note, she had an emergency cesarean when she was uh, giving birth to, uh, to her child in the US. And she kept thinking that, 
the outcomes if she had had that same procedure in Nigeria would have could have been tragic for both of them because of the in a, a lack of availability of blood suppliers um, in a you know in, in a very fast way and that that's what you know ignited her desire to create Life Bank, which now saves the lives of many in Nigeria every single day. Hala, b- b- before we came on this show, we had a had a catch up, and we spoke a bit about um, you know um, grit and resilience, and obviously you know Beirut in particular has gone through some tragic events recently with the the terrible uh, accident, and I wanted to, wanted to know are there any kind of lessons to share with our listeners in terms of how to build up um, resilience. Uh, Nassim Taleb, he, he talks about the anti-fragility and sort of bouncing back from these different waves of disruption. And I was just wondering, you know, from your experiences at, at Solve and working with so many incredible thinkers and doers, are there any, any kind of insights on how to cultivate courage and resilience? in the face of adversity. And let's face it, this year is uh, certainly incredible headwinds of adversity. Yes, yes. And Nassim Talib is, um, is uh, I think he makes it pretty clear that he's, mm-hmm. his concept was uh, inspired by his upbringing in Lebanon as well. You know, I'm very um, saddened by what happened in uh, the cataclysm cataclysmic port, Beirut port explosion on October 4th. It's, it's left a lot of the city destroyed. Um, a friend of, you know, that I went to school with lost his um, three-year-old daughter. Hundreds lost their lives. Uh, 300,000 are homeless. Uh, people are still recovering from their injuries. Some may not make it. And, then, and a very large part of the city's historical architectural heritage has been badly damaged. And there, you know, the next day, uh, citizens were in the streets, just sweeping glass off, um, the, in, in, you know, and, and helping, like, just the youth came from all corners of the country, helping their neighbors or people they didn't even know, just clear the rubbles and find their loved ones. And it is, it is a show of resilience and grit in an incredible, I mean, it's just, it, it's inspiring. It makes you believe in humanity. Um, it just, and again, I think just going back to uh, what 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 your values are and what matters most to you, it really in those moments makes it crystal clear that it may you know you may not even have the roof that's on your head, but what you have yes. is your loved ones. And so the one thing that I would say on this, and that's a personal view, is that re- resilience is necessary, mm. and it shouldn't stand in the way of us asking for more, asking for you know, keeping high expectations of our institutions and mm. being angry when they fail us. I think there there's a is, lot to be you know, angry about, isn't there, right now, I think, in terms of, you know, the social injustice and the poverty and the pollution and, and so on. Totally. Mm. Yes. I mean, for the, you know, from climate change to the handling of this pandemic to racial justice and to, you know, in places where governments is uh, failing like Lebanon, there, you know, even more access to health and, and education and all of that and corruption. So I, I do think, you know, resilience is a gift and it helps us go by, you know, just go on with our day to day. And we need to couple it with accountability and, uh, you know, a push 
for better institutions constantly uh, so that the world of tomorrow looks better for our kids than it does for us today. There's a great word in Finnish. It's a word called sisu. And sisu means Viking spirit in the face of adversity. And it's this kind of alchemy of courage, grit, and daily action. I think we can all mm-hmm. we can all benefit from scaling sisu. <laughs> scaling sisu. I love that. And you know, just on your I love that, Terence. And on your last note about, you know, doing taking one action every day. Mm. Um, I I know that, you know, sometimes these days things seem quite hard and one, one saying that I really like is if you can't run today walk if right. you can't walk today uh, you know move your leg if mm. you can't move your leg today move your toes just stay in constant movement even if it's small today it's going to build up to bigger steps tomorrow this segues really nicely into a new theme which is I read about the, uh, a virtual equality lounge which you hosted are you able to share a bit more about this this idea of a virtual equality lounge? And I know that there's some some big themes that are of interest here. And for example, the genderization of technology. This statistic that forty two percent of women and girls, a total of one point one billion, are unbanked. Crash test dummies are typically the size and shape of the average male. This means that when a woman is in a car accident, she's forty seven percent more likely to be seriously injured, and seventeen percent more likely to die. Yes, absolutely. The the design, uh, yes, and and this just it's such a strong image because mm-hmm. we look at the design and technology and all say you know design and technology are not biased, um, you know, but but they are at the Im- they are designed at the image of whoever designed them, um, and and so yes, it's something that we talk about a lot. I mean, I mentioned the intentionality of inclusion when we when we do something as simple as sending an email or you know, crafting a job description. Uh, But there is much more to that when it comes to obviously looking at the financial gap and the investment gap, uh, you know, whether women receive on average $1 million less in funding than men in early stage uh, venture capital, that's a BCG uh, finding. Uh, The the percentage of, uh, so so anyway, so the, 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 the inequality there is a drastic and the list of excuses of why it continues is also very long and quite ridiculous, frankly, mm. uh, you know, about whether, you know, it's women's revenue projections that are too cautious. So it's harder for them to raise or mm. they're more likely to accept feedback versus defend their company or, you know, they're the, the, the perennial or women are building products that cater to other women only. So investors don't understand them, which is, you know, ridiculous, but they perpetuate, you know, it's dangerous because they perpetuate that false idea that women led, tech companies are less backable than those of men. And, uh, you know, and I think, you know, the main two answers that I would have mm-hmm. is, it's just, it's become really idiotic when you consider the fact that women-founded businesses deliver more than twice as much per dollar invested on average to investors. Wow. And that's also the BCG research. So it's simply better business, you yes, know. Yes. And then the, the other point is, and this is from, uh, you know, Michelle King and others, mm-hmm. just stop trying to fix women. Stop telling us what to do differently, fix the system instead. And that goes also, you can, you know, use that same logic to talk about um, any sort of diversity, right? Um, from race to other, just, you know, fix, or you have to, we have to fix our programs to make it more inclusive and more accepting of different approaches and different languages. Um, so, so that's on the investor side. And then 
And then to, to go back to your point about why it all matters, I mean, and, and to your point about design impacting real health, you know, death and life outcomes, uh, it's, it, you know, engineers are involved in designing the world around us. You know, uh, uh, Temi is one example. Uh, we have another solver, Safi, that redesigned sanitary pads. Uh, Ramal Kailubi, who is a graduate of MIT, is running uh, uh, an AI. She's adding empathy and emotions to artificial intelligence and you know of course it took a woman to do that <laughs> and, and and to talk about more uh, more diversity uh, joy uh from the mit media lab uh, she was the first to uncover some of the largest racial and gender biases in commercially sold artificial intelligence products from companies huge companies, IBM, Microsoft, Amazon, and you've seen in the news lately that they have actually rescinded some of these products in the market. Mm. Um, she set up the Algorithmic Justice League for accountable and equitable AI. Yes. And it's so important. You know how she got to this wow. is, uh, she, she was so, you know, Joy was having to mm. code while wearing a white mask nice. to have her face detected by AI. Oh my uh, You know, God. by AI-powered facial. Yeah, uh, it, it was AI-powered facial analysis software, and it wouldn't recognize her face because she's not white. So that's just, you know, another example of how, you know, the, the, the world, the future is written in code. It yes. matters who is coding. We want women and brown and black and all of everything you know everyone to be writing it you, you have a great expression actually um it's uh flying the plane while building it and um could you share a bit more about what, what you mean by that and how how not just entrepreneurs but also corporate corporates you know big big corporate leaders as well how can they uh kind of cultivate that uh that that mindset uh flying the plane while building it that's, the first time I heard that was, I think, uh, Reid Hoffman uh, talking about it. And often social entrepreneurs are scaling their organization as they go. Mm. Um, and, and, you know, at Solve, actually, you know, our job is to provide the resources beyond just financial to help them do just that. Mm. Uh, there is, you know, riding the growth wave. Uh, for example, our Solver Ruwanguru, which is a digital boot camp, uh, raised the Series C at the end of 2019. And even though they've moved to quarantine and, uh, uh, you know, uh, on the first day, basically because everyone went online on the first day of online school, they had over 1.5 million students tune in uh, to their products. So it's just that, you know, the, the pandemic has just put so many of us online and all, everyone who is uh, providing educational uh, tools or have particularly seen that spike in growth and that they had to adjust to fast. Yes. Um, there's those that have pivoted to new needs. Um, mm. you know, I was talking about LifeBank earlier, and when the pandemic began, you know, uh, Temi quickly partnered with the National uh, Nigerian Institute of Medical Research mm. to build a drive-through mass testing center in yes. Lagos, Nigeria. Uh, you know, so it, it's just a, how do you repurpose your existing products to match the the emergent needs of the market? Mm. Um, that, those are just two examples. You know, entrepreneurs can pick scale and grit and resilience are very much part of that trying time. Just to your earlier point, Terence, yes. about the role of uh, of that. So it's about you know where in the market is there an opportunity? Can I pivot? Is it something completely new, or is it just about growing massively quickly what I already do? And and Hala, at a very kind of uh, at a leadership level, 
you know, over the last couple of months, obviously, that the pandemic has forced us to really rethink not just uh, why we work, but why we work. And I wanted to ask you, um, do you have any, what are your insights and observations in terms of success for working from home or working from anywhere? Because obviously it's such a, a perennial uh, challenge and opportunity now. I, for example, I read recently that there's this word in Japan called karoshi, which means death at your desk from stress. And it just occurred to me that, you know, staring at your screen all day and Zoom calls and so on. So I, what, what are your kind of practical tips on, uh, uh, you know, productivity and mindset and focus um, when you're when you when when you're working from home or working from anywhere, right? I, I love this question. I love your just words from all <laughs> over. You know, in your in all the languages, ah, uh, I'm learning you. a lot. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it, this is such an important question. So, and actually, as we were talking, you know, we had um, I, I did over the summer. Um, uh, we had a webinar series called Solving from Anywhere, and yes, we had a lot it. of um, uh, yeah. Thank you. So we had a lot of uh, leaders, especially in the philanthropic sector, and they mm -hmm. were talking about what they had changed uh, to adapt to the moment. And that one thing that particularly sticks in my mind is how much both flexibility and speed they introduced into their processes. So mm -hmm. this moment is m less about minimizing risks and more about rising up to the moment in a flexible way. So mm -hmm. concretely, what it means for them is their relationship to their uh, grantees, right? Because these are fund, uh, philanthropic organizations. They're giving out grants right now in a way that is much faster, that is more flexible, that is more understanding of what um, outcomes need to be um, uh, reached and how. Um, yes. So I think I think that that was a nice takeaway yes. uh, for uh, corporations. You know, mm. we had Mary Barra, the oh, chair, yes. chairman and CEO yeah. of General Motors, mm. uh, speak at one of our events recently, and she was talking about that now it's entered the lexicon of GM to talk about um, doing things at ventilator speed and what it refers yeah what it refers to is the GM's uh, work with uh, with a small company to uh, scale up their uh, re um, respirator yeah. uh, what's the word the uh, the uh, so the ventilator the yes, ventilators yes. oh yes yeah, so the, 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 yes I, I got it respirators Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. So, so basically, you know, that it refers to a ventilator speed refers to uh, production of ventilators that GM was able to uh, scale up extremely rapidly yes. relative to, to their usual uh, manufacturing cycle uh, while working with a, a small uh, startup to do so. And for us at Solve, really, again, it goes back to our values, you know, anchor us during a crisis. So we had decided what is it that we don't want to continue doing we are super lucky because our uh you know we are we are a community you know what we do the the, the service that we uh, provide is um uh, being part of a community that is uh you know uh, that cares about making a difference uh, on global challenges so that allowed us to uh be very nimble about how we move from uh, in-person events and convenings mm -hmm. to virtual without losing much 
of the value of what we were bringing to the table. Yes. I mean, I, I, I've been lucky enough just for our listeners' benefit to have experienced a live Solve event. And I'd say if, if you've got the opportunity to to get involved as a as a donor or a mentor, or what are the, what are some of the, the, the sort of key ways that our listeners can get involved, Hala? I love that you asked that, and we we so we so love having you as part of the community, Terence, and, oh, and you know having you part of the conversation. Mm. So we are announcing the new theme for uh, uh, 2021 d- during our September 29th event, which is Solve Challenge Finals. D- that event is really one of my favorite. It brings uh, we, we had 2,600. Uh, teams apply from 135 countries to our global challenges this year. So truly, truly phenomenal. Mm -hmm. And we have a very hard job of selecting now the ones that are going to pitch to uh, a live, you know, to the audience on September 29 and be selected to become our solar team. So that's what happens. And they are eligible for 2.2 million in prize funding. Uh, so that's what's happening on September 29th. And that, so that's an opportunity for engagement is to, uh, you know, either tune in for the uh, plenary of that event or become a member to join the whole conversation. Uh, we'll be designing our 2021 Global Challenges, which is something that we do in a very collaborative and consultative way. Yes. Uh, so for those who are our members, they get a say, they get input into our uh, global challenges. Mm-hmm. Uh, so really our members are an integral part of our mission and that's the best way to get engaged. Um, and then of course there's plenty that we do in terms of outreach on um, on social media, on uh, getting, uh, you know, getting input from the world writ large. We also have several open mm-hmm. challenges right now on our right. website, including the Reimagining Pathways to Employment in the U.S. challenge, which is uh, very focused on racial justice as well. Yes. And we really encourage uh, your listeners who are innovators and who have a solution to apply to that. And then to stay tuned because we always have things going on at Solve and we would love to engage more and more people. We've got sort of our final big catalytic question. I, you know, I, had, I was lucky enough to meet a hundred-year-old woman uh, last year, and um, she loves to learn. In fact, her, her her motto is "Be a learner, not a knower." And um, she said to me, "Not taking a risk is a risk." I wanted to sort of a final kind of call to action for our listeners, which is you know around legacy and. Are there any sort of final thoughts you'd like to share with our listeners in terms of how to build a legacy as a company and as an individual? Wow. <laughs> Are you Terrence, I'm, I'm a constant work in progress. What I would yes. like to hear, if I, I'm going to turn the table around and ask, how, how do you do, how, you know, what's your process to uh, collect all of these tidbits that are so profound <laughs> from around the world from Finland it's... to Japan to a hundred year old woman it's... I think that's what your listeners want to know Ah, oh, thank you so much well I think it's you know I call it the huge power of thinking like a kid and apparently at the age of four we have like 96% creativity and divergent thinking by the age of 24 it gets reduced to 4% because a lot of the creativity uh, gets educated out of us, and so my my kind of mission in life is to just you know practice, follow curiosity every day, um, ask new types of questions. So you know what's what, when's the last time we asked a new question for the first time, or what's the bravest question our listeners have asked in the last month? I think you know questions are the answer when there's so much uncertainty, and so that, that's my secret sauce. 
I love it. And, you know, recently I was uh, listening to a, a podcast called No Stupid Questions. And nice. one of the uh, one of the things that they were talking about is the importance or the advantage of having a personal mission statement. Because yes. it really, again, going back to the, it's just like we have our values and it, it directs how we do what we do. Uh, mission statements maybe tells us what it is that we want to you know be or do and and I, as i was thinking you know i think it, it, one, one one that we resonated is be and do better every day mm. and be kind while doing it because i really think i really hope and and definitely want that the heroes of the 21st century are both great and good you know we've had a huge I think lineage of heroes in in the past that were really mostly great and not really so good. It reminds me of this great book actually, which I wholeheartedly recommend. It's called Humankind by Rutger Brugman. Mm -hmm. And it really is about scaling, you know, what makes us more human. And we've never need that, needed that more in this sort of age of AI and automation. It's been such an energizing, uh, an enjoyable conversation today, Haller. And, you know, our goal was to kind of explore some themes, some big themes and uh, big questions around the future, hacking the future with humanity, inclusion and shared prosperity. Do you have any sort of final closing comments for our listeners? Find the problem. And I may be quoting you, Terence, but no, find the problem <laughs> <laughs> and, and work from your experience to solve it and yes. stay at it until it's solved and bring others along as you do it. Fantastic. Hala Hanna, Managing Director, Community at Solve. Thank you so much. Thank you, Terence. This was lovely. What will it take to survive and thrive in the future? The number one takeaway for me today with my conversation with Hala is that the future is about we, not me. Today's problems can't be solved with yesterday's thinking. I believe it's time to elevate humanity, reimagine a future that is human-led, intentionally diverse, purpose-driven, and sustainable. As the Nobel laureate Marie Curie said, in life, nothing is to be feared, only understood. And the more we understand, the less we will fear. Join me next time for an exclusive interview with former National Schools Commissioner, Sir David Carter. We'll be discussing how to make education future fit for a world that is virtual, automated, and algorithmic. <laughs>